When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Wednesday, August 5th. I'm Sophie Kazos. Today we're talking to a formerly incarcerated man about his relationship to the nationwide prison strike. On August 21st, incarcerated leaders around the country launched a nationwide prison strike to raise awareness of the inhumane conditions throughout the U.S. prison system, but also to call our attention to the broader issues that have caused mass incarceration. This includes racist policing practices, unjust sentencing laws, the school-to-prison pipeline, and a lack of support for people once they're released from prison, just to name a few. It's been 16 days so far of nonviolent protest, and there are four more left. So today, I spoke with a writer named Michael Fisher, who himself is formerly incarcerated, to talk about how inspired he feels by the current prison strike. So, Michael, you wrote a personal essay about the nationwide prison strike that's happening right now, and you opened your piece with kind of a hook. And basically what you said is, even though you yourself have been incarcerated and you've experienced the horrible dehumanizing conditions inside, you still had a moment when you heard about the nationwide prison strike where you kind of couldn't figure out what the strike was for. Can you explain what you meant by this? When you're in there, everything about prison is designed to remind you that you don't have value, that you're not important, that you're not expected to succeed, whether inside or outside. and I wasn't in very long. I mean, two years is, is in the American system, an incredibly short sentence, sadly enough. So I, it's not like I was really in that long when you compare, you know, my sentence to, to most people's. But even in that span of time, I couldn't kind of withstand that, that idea, um, you know, kind of seeping in and, and really making me feel like that I was lucky to, to get anything because, um, because that's just kind of uh, the general impression that, that you're that you're kind of uh, inundated with when you're there. And I read an article that you wrote for Salon that kind of expanded on some of the things you wrote for Vice. And in that article, you mentioned that after you were released from prison, you actually kept your payroll receipts and those tracked the very low wages, extremely low wages that you earned while, while working in prison and and you mentioned in that article that those numbers were a big part of that feeling of worthlessness while being on the inside. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what your job actually was while you were in prison and how much you made? So I had a couple of different jobs when I was locked up. Um, the one that I reference in the um, salon piece was a janitor job, which was just, you know, kind of basic janitor duties. I would go down to the activities building, which was an area that had the library was down there and some classrooms were down there. And I would go down and mop, empty the trash cans, just kind of do some basic stuff. I think sometimes I'd buff the floor if, if the if the correctional officer down there wanted that. And then just go back to my dorm. So that was kind of the my initial job while I was waiting for, for some paperwork to come through to, to try to do something a little more meaningful. And then eventually that came through when I, and I transitioned to, um, to teaching. Do you remember how much you made in that first job? You know, it was... The pay is determined by job plus education level. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a two pronged system. So I, I was eligible for up to twenty four cents an hour as someone who had graduated high school uh, or had the equivalent of of you know high school diploma. But because I was a janitor, I, I doubt that was grade four pay because that's just not considered a very important job. Obviously, in the even to the facility. So I I was probably making more like 18 cents an hour at that job. I think that's what grade three was. And then when I transitioned to teaching, teaching was, you know, was, was an important position. And so that was 24 cents an hour. I was teaching other inmates, basically a reentry course. Guys would be, you know, within about three months of going home would get automatically enrolled in this class. And we would talk about money management and family reintegration and, some things like that. And and that was really kind of interesting because, you know, when, when you think about the recidivism numbers, you know, in the American criminal justice system, and you think about how hard it is for guys to succeed after they get out, you know, I, it was hard not to feel like maybe part of the problem with, with guys not being able to be successful was that they were paying, you know, me who doesn't know anything about any of those topics and, you know, has no experience in any of that. Uh, less than a quarter an hour to to try to help these guys succeed when they get out and to make that amount of money in that job was really kind of uh not only not only you know hurt my own sense of of you know what my work is worth but also what kind of value the facility and kind of the system at large placed on these guys success if it was only you know worth four dollars a week to them to to try to find someone who um who could stand in front of a classroom of, of other convicts and try to, you know, to help them through something that I really didn't know anything about. Absolutely. And the experience that you're describing, I think, speaks pretty directly to one of the demands of the current strike, which is that prison labor be properly compensated. And one of the ways that people are nonviolently striking on, on this point in particular is to not report to their workstations. And I'm curious, just from your experience or what you've gleaned, how dangerous is this kind of protest for incarcerated people? I think in my experience, that's really um, a facility to facility issue. I mean, you, you know, you take a state like New York, which is where I was locked up. There's, I believe, still more than 50 prisons in the New York state system. The kind of general rule of thumb is usually that if you're near the city, you know, if you're near New York City, if you're in Sing Sing, you're in Otisville, you're in like downstate, some of these facilities that are that are close to the city, you have a little more leeway because 
you know, people's lawyers are in the city, a lot of people's families are in the city, and, and there's a sense that the facility is, is being watched on some level and that they can't just get away with anything. But when you get up into like upstate and you get near the Canadian border or you get, you know, mid-state or you get, you get, you know, out toward Buffalo, there's very much a sense that, you know, you're kind of on your own. Those facilities, those are very much, you know, the COs tend to kind of do what they want. You know, um, prison is, is a bit of an information vacuum because it's not like you can, you know, Google these things. But you certainly hear a lot of stories when you get to some of these more kind of rural, you know, prison hubs about how the COs will, you know, get in a staff elevator and, and uh, you know, stop it between floors with a guy, you know, and hand, handcuffed and, and then they come out, you know, half an hour later and no one ever sees that guy again and he gets transferred to a different facility so that nobody at his home facility knows what happened to him. So, yeah, it can be a big problem because if you're, depending on what facility you're at, going to the box, going, to, you know, going to isolation and, and uh, potentially losing any good time you had is like the best case scenario. But depending on the facility, the worst case scenario is they, you know, they, they kind of tune you up on your way to the box. So yeah, it can, it can vary really widely depending on, on what facility you're in. And you can be, even in the best of facilities you're looking at, at the very least, yeah, potentially losing good time that, that, you know, puts you even farther away from, from getting back to your own family. So obviously that's about the biggest sacrifice you can really ask an inmate to make for, to try to better a a situation for others when, when probably that particular inmate's never going to see the fruits of that. And that's part of why you know, I found it so inspiring that guys were willing to do that because they're not going to reap the rewards of this, but they're definitely going to suffer the consequences. Absolutely. And I think that that's really at the crux of your essay that you wrote is how inspired you are by the courage that that it takes to stand up when you may not directly feel the benefits of of a protest like this. And another one of the demands that I wanted to talk about that I think kind of gets at what you're talking about in your essay, which is that feeling of being completely dehumanized by prison and by the system and feeling like you don't have worth, that you're kind of forgotten and that you don't have a voice. And that demand is the right to vote campaign, which says that all American citizens of voting age, including those who are incarcerated and including those who are formerly incarcerated, should have the right to vote. Can you talk a little bit about this and maybe some of the demands that stuck out to you the most? The thing about the voting the voting rights issue is that, I mean, the, the sad truth is it goes back to what I said about prison being a bit of an information vacuum. I mean, I remember, God, I remember there was a guy who used to tell people that there was this um, organization you could get a hold of like if you wrote that if you wrote to them like in the months before you were getting out they would send you a check for like i can't remember but some some ridiculous amount like five thousand dollars or something and he like really believed this like he really thought this was true and part of the problem with the voting situation is that we have to do a better job collectively of and and personally just educating ourselves as far as can we really not vote or do we just not know that we can vote um depending on what you know what states you're in and, and your situation and how long your supervision goes. But as far as what other um, what other demands from the strike kind of stuck out to me, I, I think there's one that just talks about like acknowledging the basic like, humanity of other people. <laughs> um, I think it might be the very first one where it talks about like the right for every person to have like humane treatment in any circumstance. And I think that one's important because whenever people 
like for example, like this thing that I wrote for Vice, like when you go on, you know, the, the Vice Twitter page and you look at what the comments are for that article, it's all people saying, well, you know, what's your, you know, you shouldn't then don't go to prison then, you know, if you don't, if you want to complain about conditions, then keep yourself out of prison, which I get. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to dismiss those people. I understand that viewpoint. Um, and there's some truth to that. But also, I think there's we have to kind of decide what it is that we do and don't find acceptable, even for people that are incarcerated. And, and you know, I understand that it's a punishment. I didn't go to prison thinking it was going to be like a day spa. But at the same time, I, th- I think, you know, what, what level of, of respect and what level of just kind of basic humanity do we want to be cultivating, you know, in these facilities? And, um, you know, and that's something that we have to decide on, you know, collectively as a society is, is you know, how far we're really willing to go. I mean, trust me, no one's, it's punishment enough before people start putting you in danger or, you know, in ways be, that go beyond the danger from other inmates or paying you slave wages. I mean, long before we ever reach that point, everybody's plenty miserable. I mean, you know, I can promise you that. So, so yeah, to me that this issue of, of how much, how much humanity are we going to let in? Um, because when guys get out, feeling disempowered and broke and, um, you know, having been taught they have no value that, that doesn't, that is not a recipe for safety, but if you actually want to fix something, you're going to have to address the fact that a miserable individual coming out of a dehumanizing situation is a danger to you and and society at large. Yeah. And I think also what those kinds of comments miss uh, when they talk sort of about an individual's actions, which is obviously, you know, an important point. And I, you know, you acknowledge that too. But I think what it misses is the structures that are in place that are creating a, a carceral state, that are creating mass incarceration. And when you think about the broader injustices and sort of the the more institutional structural issues, why so many people are in prison, so many men of color, so many poor people then you really get at something different. And I think that that is what's so interesting and inspiring to me about this prison strike in particular, which is that for the first time, this strike actually explicitly says in its demands that they're not just trying to raise awareness about the conditions on the inside, which are horrific, but they're also trying to bring attention to these broader injustices and to this broader system of mass incarceration. And I think that that's just a really strong message right now coming out of this strike. But I want to I want to switch gears and I'd love to hear a little bit about your current work as a mentor through the Penn City Writers Program. This is a program where you work with incarcerated writers and I'm curious like how your mentees have been uh, navigating the strike, whether any of them are directly participating or whether they're writing about it. What's what's that experience been like? The, the way it works is, is that there's a professor at University of Texas, Austin. Her name's Deb Owen Unferth. She, uh, she started the program. She runs the program. She's an amazing professor, great writer. She won a Guggenheim Fellowship this last year. And uh, I met her at AWP, which is the annual writing convention. And she was nice enough to let me get involved. So she goes down and, and meets uh, with the mentees, you know, face to face. And they do, you know, workshop in a classroom. And then she gathers up their next round of work, you know, from them directly, takes it, takes it back to Austin, 
you know, scans it and then emails it out to each individual mentor. And then we give the notes, give them back to Deb, Deb brings them back to them. So, um, so it's a pretty long process. And so the, the, the strike is too, is too recent to, to really know. Um, the other thing about that though, is they really have to be careful, obviously about what they're writing because the facility, you know, can and will read it. And so, especially if they're writing nonfiction, which a lot of them are, they have to either be, you know, pretty oblique about some of these things or just kind of, kind of just can't write about them at all because that's just putting them even further in harm's way. Uh, you know, if they kind of admit to having been involved in something or having planned something that the facility doesn't approve of, this particular program runs out of a, a maximum security facility in, in Texas, which is, you know, a, a DOC system in Texas that, that, that does not play. So my, honestly, my, um, my my guess would be that that it's not going to come up in their work at all because it just um it would just be unnecessarily dangerous for them. Mm. So here's a question: as with most things relating to prison, this strike hasn't gotten a ton of media attention, um, and I think you know that's sort of a byproduct of generally prisons are meant to you know, lock people away so that they're not heard and they're not seen. And we don't hear a ton about what goes on inside. And I'm I'm curious how you feel like media coverage has been so far on this prison strike and how you'd like to see the strike better represented in the media. Well, you know, it's funny, this, this question kind of gets back to what we said at the beginning about why I was shocked that the strike was happening at all. You know, it, it's this um, kind of the the long-term effect of, of low expectations, you know, for yourself and your life and, uh, and the institutions that, that you come in contact with. I, I was shocked that it was covered at all and, and not even so much because it's not an issue people care about or, or, or even so much because prisons are, are, you know, isolated and incubated from, from the rest of, you know, quote unquote, real society. The reason I was surprised that it cut through the noise at all was just because, we're in a time right now where the amount of news being generated, you know, mainly politically is just insane. I mean, you know, regardless of what side of, of, uh, you know, the political spectrum you're on, I think we can all agree that the amount of just sheer news that this administration generates is, is just like unprecedented. So, and that just, that just creates so much noise that it's hard for anything else to come through and I remember, you know, when the strike started, like within three days, there'd been, you know, John McCain passed and, you know, like a whole bunch of other things happened. And, and you know, of course, a bunch of Trump related news, as always, you know, continued to churn and churn and churn. And I thought, man, this is going to be buried in like, you know, less than a, before we even get to the weekend. And so that that honestly was was my first thought. It wasn't even so much. I, I, I was actually appreciative that that everybody from you know, Vox and Vice and Mother Jones. I mean, there was, there was at least initially um, a pretty decent amount of coverage. And, and, you know, the Marshall Project is kind of doing at least a couple of follow-ups that I've seen to kind of talk about the progress now that it's like ongoing. But, um, but my biggest thing was, you know, it's just such a tragedy that, that politically there's so much noise being made that nothing else really has much of a chance to cut through the noise. And, 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 you know, there's an opportunity cost to all this stuff. It's like when you're, when all these articles are getting churned out about Trump, those are all articles and eyeballs that are not, not allocated to other things that are also important. People always say that one of the only bipartisan issues we have right now is, 
mass incarceration. I mean, almost everybody is on that page of, of, you know, I mean, if you're a conservative, you can make the point that it's, you know, a financial just money pit. Liberals have their own reasons to hate it. It's, it's arguably like the only bipartisan issue we have left. So I'm really encouraged by that. I think maybe there's a real moment to get something done, but the rest of the news cycle is going to have to going to have to make just a little bit of room in order for that to that issue to kind of um, stake any kind of a claim. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And there are four more days of this strike. And so we're going to try to keep some eyes and ears on it. So my last question for you is, how can people on the outside show support and stand in solidarity with those who are striking right now on the inside? Like, what can we do that is helpful in some way? You know, because obviously no one involved in the strike can can amplify the message themselves. I mean, or or they can to a degree, but it's difficult and there's a lag time and it's a lot harder. I think um, you know, just really trying to 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 share the information about what's happening and let people know as much as possible. And that's why I, I tried to I wanted to really churn out a couple things about it. I, I don't really write about current events. I don't do like hot takes. I don't do that kind of stuff. I, I, I've only ever done up until now, you know, publishing in like obscure literary journals that, that nobody really reads. And I was probably content with that, but I want, I, you know, I thought this is important. This is something that I want to help amplify in any way that I can. So I'm going to change gears for a minute and kind of step out of my comfort zone and like write something that's going to have a comment section, which I have no interest in no interest in having that attached to my work is what I mean, but do it anyway, because I think it's important. And I think um, that, that that's what I can do. I can, I can like amplify this. I can, you know, maybe get like a couple more eyeballs on it make a couple people more aware of it. Somebody even the other day who had read, who had read it reached out and said, um, I didn't realize that you lost so much weight when you were in there. I didn't realize that, that, you know, people, cause people always say, well, you know, it's three hots in a cot. What's the problem? And 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 so they that this person didn't happen to realize that uh, inmates are fed like barely like a, a, a shade above kind of the caloric minimum, and you know depending on the facility and what they're getting away with probably not even that, and and so didn't realize you know when I made a reference to kind of hunger I think it was in the salon piece they were like oh I had no idea, I mean obviously not everyone can do that in the same way I mean most people don't have a personal story a personal angle on this issue but you know but even just sharing the articles or sharing the websites that, that have the demands listed or, you know, just, just trying to, you know, be a part of that conversation and get other people into that conversation. Because like I said, this is, um, this is an issue that, that most people are, when you, when, when they hear about it and when, you know, and when you tell them about it are actually pretty much on the same page, you know, across the spectrum. And, and so the more people we can bring into that conversation, the better. So I think, um, you know, I'm all for kind of letting the people that are involved with the strike kind of speak for them for themselves, but, but just amplifying what they're saying, I think, um, you know, is is the best anybody can do because that's the one part that they can do for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I mean, we're really glad that you shared shared this essay with us. To read the full story, go to vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.